1: We are live, and hello to my wonderful guest, Elizabeth Law. Hi. It's, um, wow, it's exceptional to have you on the show. Before I forget, um, hello, everybody. This is Mel Rosenberg, the host of the Children's Literature Channel for the New Books Network. And I am here with Editor Supreme, Elizabeth huh. Law. So I am, wow, I'm, I'm so happy to... Uh, to e-meet you, um, and um, we'll talk about your life in a, uh, in a moment. Uh, what are you up to these days?
0: Well, I'm a full-time editor at Holiday House Books, which is the, one of the, well, we, it was the last independent children's book publisher, because as you know, probably most of the listeners here know, publishers are consolidating. Everybody's probably following the big lawsuit, um, between the Justice Department and Penguin Random House, who's trying to buy Simon & Schuster. So Holiday House just did their own thing for a very long time. Finally, six years ago, when the owner was in his mid-80s, he sold to a parent company called Trustbridge Media, and they've since bought a couple of other companies, Peachtree and Candlewick. And with Peachtree, we sort of have a a slightly bigger company than Holiday House used to be. So we're not completely independent anymore, Um, but we're still a small children's publisher in an age when um, most children's publishing is done by what's called one of the big five publishers. So we're very proud of that. We think it allows us to give a lot of attention to books that might be swept along in a tsunami of a bigger publisher. I worked for a bigger publisher twice. I I was just going to say, you have have a lot
1: of penguins on your resume.
0: Penguin, and I worked at Simon & Schuster, and they were also wonderful. But but there's something very nice about being in a smaller place. It's very personal. People know every book. I love that. And you are concentrating, though, on middle grade. I'm concentrating on finding middle grade. I'm actually editing um, a good handful of picture books, um, and each picture book is different and wonderful in its own way. And I'm getting a lot of picture book submissions, but I'm, try, I'm trying to find more middle grades. Sometimes it happens like that. People, you just get a, a wealth of wonderful things in a certain category. Um, and also, you, um, well, I was gonna say also, I have a bit of a niche, um, because I've been like this crazy children's book fanatic my whole life. I have a lot of um, knowledge of the history of children's publishing. So I was originally hired by Holiday House to work on their backlist which means all the books they already published to find new ways of maybe new formats they could be done in, new ways of bringing them into print. And that's still a big part of my job. Um, can, so can you give an example? Absolutely. There's a, well, first of all, a book that um, some of your listeners might know well, Herschel and the Hanukkah Goblins. This, And if you don't know it, look for it. Herschel and the Hanukkah Goblins by Eric A. Kimmel, illustrated by Trina Shard hyman It's an amazing book, Caldecott honor book. Um, really loved by a ton of people, rightly so. It's one of the best Hanukkah tales I've ever read. The artist's mind-blowing. And we're coming out with a gift edition this fall because we heard that it was like a book that people were taking off their shelves every Hanukkah and reading with their kids. And, and we wanted to do one that was a little bit more special. It has a slipcase. It comes with a poster of Trina Hyman's amazing art. Um, Jason Chin, I have to, I know I'm, I talk fast. Uh, Jason Chin, who won the Caldecott this year, cites Trina Hyman, the illustrator of Herschel, as his greatest influence. She was a huge mentor to him. And he gave us a beautiful quote for the slipcase. And um, so like, that's an example. Or I take Gail Gibbons' nonfiction. Gail Gibbons has been doing nonfiction for kids since the late 70s. And she's a real talent, but the science um, in some of her older books is, you know, science is constantly changing. So I update those with her or we're doing board book editions of some of the books that work well for younger kids. Those are all things I do.
1: Fantastic. So um, let's,
0: let's, um, let's talk about you now.
1: Um, okay. your, your, your biography is all over, but it's like more of your adult biography. Oh. And, you know, I have, a, I have a theory. I've interviewed over 50 authors, illustrators, editors. Um, and my, my theory is, uh, and you might ascribe to it, is that people who are in this um, field um, are, they're actually five or seven or eight-year-olds at heart. And they're writing uh, or reading with their five or seven or eight-year-old.
0: I think I'm emotionally arrested at about 10 or 11. And that's probably why I'm a middle grade, why I love working on middle grade novels. So, and I had a boss once, she's now a literary agent, Brenda Bowen, and she said that she thought she was 12. So, you know, everybody has their sweet spot. Yes,
1: yes so I mean, I, I write picture books, so
0: Great. I
1: know five, I, kn- seven, yeah. I know that I'm stuck at five, so you can be my uh, older sister here. Okay. So. So tell the
0: audience a little bit about your childhood and how you grew up to be an editor. Well, thanks. I love talking about myself. Nobody ever asked me this in an interview. Thanks. Do I have lipstick on my teeth? No. Okay. They're good. Um, Why? Nope. Nope. They look good. Uh, Let's see. So I grew up in suburban Boston, but so it was, it was, I was born in 1960. So... um, which I think is a very fun time to be to be born, because I had the security, the sense of security that you had in the suburbs in the 60s, but I got to see the 70s happen. I always say that there, at one year at summer camp, we sang the Green Beret song, which nobody will know anymore, but it's silver wings upon his chest, make him one of America's best. And the next year I went back to camp, and we sang, We Shall Overcome. It was like the 60s happened, right? And I got to see it all. And that was so fun. Um, but although I grew up in the East Coast, my parents were both Texans. So and um, every summer we went to visit my grandmother who lived, my mother grew up on a tiny little cotton farm and didn't even have electricity until the famous rural electrification program that happened during the Great Depression. So she grew up, you know, without um, without electricity on a small cotton farm and I think as an editor now not having just sort of an east Coast centric point of view but having really spent all this time with my relatives in the south um, is is enormously helpful and I still chafe a bit at certain conversations I've had that I feel were too um, east Coast centric too you know or what we would call um not you know, not the opposite of the flyover states, like the sort of coastal liberal thing. and we of course, we want to publish books for all children, and i and I think we do but so what's on me anyway, I was a huge reader, <laughs> and in fourth grade, I sort of already had the reputation as like the librarian's favorite kid and the kid who um could answer all the questions on the librarians quizzes. and I had a um bookmark of every book that had won the Newbery Medal. And I was gonna read all of them. And I, I wasn't reading them in order and I checked out the story of mankind and I brought it home and I read a page and I'm like, nope, I'm not gonna do this. <laughs> and so there were certain ones, Gay next, Story of a Pigeon, which I understand was a big influence on Jean at George. I was like, I'm not reading about a pigeon. I'm just not. So, but I was the kind of kid who thought I would read all the Newbery winners. That's my point.
1: So you were in this from an early age. And uh, this, is, this is a question that I've asked uh, Harold Underdown, uh, my, uh, my mentor. Um, so I'm asking you, um, why don't you write or do you write? I don't or write. You publish?
0: No. What's, what's that all about, Elizabeth? I barely, when I'm talking to a writer and we're working on a book, I can throw out ideas about how to solve something. Like I will throw out, and usually they come up with something better, but I've never had an idea for a story in my whole life. Occasionally, I'll have an idea like, oh, I'd love a book on X. Could somebody, you know, maybe I could go to Eric Kimmel and he could do a book on something, but that's as far as I ever get. Okay. Uh, Can you repeat
1: the last sentence because I didn't hear it?
0: Oh, well, I, as far as I ever get is thinking I'd like a book on X, I wonder if somebody who could write it for me. I have a a young woman. I have a house guest right now is a young woman who, um, when she was a girl, she was at the New York, I believe it's called the New York school of ballet. It's the, the, the school of ballet that trains, trains professional dancers. And she told me recently that every year when she got her tights and her, um, tunic she would think this is going to be my ear this is going to be my ear but but she actually found it really pressureful and she never liked it and I'd love to find a book about that um and I I put something out on Twitter um and I've gotten some submissions that so far haven't quite fit but uh, I, you know the sense of a of a child being trained for a professional job where she but where it's really just a lot of pressure and she thinks she should mm-hmm. like it and she doesn't. I'd love, I think that could be a great novel. Okay, so,
1: so now we're, we're gonna segue to something that you've written. Um, and this is very interesting because uh, you've written that authors should write to their passion. Right. And not to the briefs or requests of the That's editors and publishing houses. So, and, and Harold is very much the same way. And now he's at Kane uh, Press looking for specific books. And people like me cannot write specific books. If you say to me, Mel, I want a book about X, I can't write that book. I no, was a scientist for 40 years. I'm not doing that
0: anymore. But I guess I thought if I put it out on Twitter, where I have a bunch of followers, maybe it'll strike a chord with somebody. Maybe something will come from it. That's all I thought. Uh-huh. Some writers um, who, who have a lot of books under their belt, um, occasionally an idea will spark for them, but, but more often than not, a nonfiction idea or sometimes a picture book idea. Um, I, think, um, I think Eric Kimmel occasionally wrote some, some, some books on subjects that one of his editors asked him to do. But I, I agree, Harold's right. And what you're doing is right. I've seen so many manuscripts where people tried to figure out a formula or tried to do what they thought was popular. And I've never seen any, a single one of those work. You should really yeah. write like, it's the only thing that works.
1: Yeah, um, I walk my bare back. I want my hat back. I want my bear back that's a good idea for a book okay, go me. for it i'm gonna so okay. I want my hat I, and i can't see anybody um who, who edited that um, it's Candlewick. i can't remember um, I don't remember either I think so uh, yeah and and um another Elizabeth perhaps um, so um i can't imagine somebody reaching out and saying, has anybody written a uh a book on somebody uh, who eats, a, <laughs> well, eats a rabbit at the end of the book, right?
0: You're making um, a really excellent point, yeah.
1: So th- this, is, this is part of my, um, you know, when I, when I interview people, I always want to hear this point. So on one hand, you're looking for a particular book um, and, and some agents say, you know, I'm looking for this and for that, but surprise me. But don't agents want to sell the books to people like you and like Harold who are looking for particular books and have you know, have requests So,
0: No, I think I totally understand why agents say that. Look, I, I've been saying that I'm, I'm particularly looking for middle grade novels. And in that time I've acquired, since I started really saying it, um, I've gotten some, some middle grade novels that have come close that the authors are working on with me, but I've actually signed up to picture books because you just take what you, like and think you can sell and that's going to work. So um, I I think there's another example of that. Let me think. I I mean, I can't imagine. Well, here's what I want to say. It's kind of a segue. Um, In a certain period when I worked for Penguin Books for a really long time, I worked there for 18 years. And there was a certain period when we had a sales director who had no imagination and all she would ever understand what were books that were she sort of understood series that were seasonally published where, you know, and, or you had a new book by the big author every year and it was always supposed to sell exactly the same. And, um, you know, we editors all struggled with her because we would present a good book and she'd be like, I don't get it. And it, was, uh, it, was not, it was not a happy era. And um, finally uh, at Scholastic, Brian Selznick published um, The Invention of Hugo Capre, which was an incredible labor of love that he worked on with Tracy Mack. And they, they, it took them years and the book was expensive and it was long and it was like nothing that had come before. And it was a wonderful and a huge success and you know, th- kind of thrilling the first time I saw it. And I remember the sales director saying, why don't we have a book like this on our list? And we all wanted to kill her because you know, she would have fought that book tooth and nail. So agents, to go back to what you were saying, an agent knows, surprise me, send me something great and and we'll figure out how to sell it because that sales director has long long since left the business. So, you know, if something's good and a rep is the same way, they will be happy to go in and say, look, I read this. I loved it. It's amazing just read it and we can start a word of mouth campaign and people will start posting the reviews on goodreads and amazon and, and it will work it doesn't have okay. to formula
1: okay we're going to get back to that okay uh these difficult questions um are you drinking beer in the morning that's very good I'm drinking, this is how we so i'm
0: drinking herbal um iced tea it would be more fun like you're, you're speaking With from beer. the east coast. Yes. east coast i'm glad you asked because and it's 10, <laughs> 10 in the morning I'm drinking beer at 10 yeah yeah with, I, I, I would I would drink with you I mean
1: here in Israel it's 5 30 but right I, go for it no but I would drink at 10 in the morning um so let, let's go back now we're going to go back to your life so so you grew up and uh, what did you do after you grew up you were a, a you 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 stayed the age of 11 or 12 but then you went to I, high school, right I'm high emotionally university.
0: arrested but my body grew up anyway <laughs> And then it's true. And when I went to college, so this great thing happened. Well, there's two key things. In high school, the librarian in my town, the public librarian and I founded a children's book discussion group. And it met every other Wednesday in the little room off the children's room of the library. So and because it was suburban Boston, Simmons College was nearby. And sometimes we went into, um, Simmons had lectures or people, uh, the award winners would come and sign books. And that was thrilling for me. So liking children's books was already showing up as like an unusual passion that I had. Cause all my other friends were only reading adult stuff but I had just stayed interested. Um, at Beverly Cleary would have a new book out. I would always read it, et cetera. Um, and then when I went to college, I went to the University of Chicago And at that time, the Bulletin of the Center for Children's Books, which is one of the major review journals, sometimes you'll see it referred to just as BCCB. At that time, it was published out of the Library School of the University of Chicago. Now it's with the University of Illinois uh, because Chicago closed their library school. But that was after I was there. Anyway, this legendary children's book reviewer, Zena Sutherland, taught a graduate library school class called On Children's Books. And my friend saw it in the catalog and told me about it. And so, and because I was an undergraduate, I had to apply to get permission to enter the class. So I went to talk to Zena Sutherland and she said, well, I'm fine with having an undergraduate, but I don't want you to be intimidated about sharing your thoughts in the class. (laughs) It's like, that's not going to be a problem. Yeah, nobody's ever had, don't worry. Um, So I took her class and two amazing things happened. First, the class was really exciting for me. I mean, it was really the first time that I learned about um, children's book publishing when it wasn't, all I had known was you could be a teacher or you could be a librarian because the people I knew were librarians. Um, But she told stories about her friends in New York publishing. And she told a story about Ursula Nordstrom. She had lunch with Ursula Nordstrom, the legendary Harper editor. And Ursula Nordstrom said to her, inch by inch is going to win the Caldecott this year. And I'm going to quit my job. Because Inch by Inch is a great book by Leo Leoni, but it was the year where the wild things are were published that and Ursula Nordstrom knew it was a game changer. It was a masterpiece. And she and I heard that story and I was I remember holding on to my chair like, oh, my God, let this happen to me. This is this is the world for me where the books are being created. And it, Zena, I, I don't know. I, I didn't know anybody who worked in publishing in suburban Boston and it was was so was a light bulb. That was amazing. You didn't um, say what your undergraduate studies were in. I was an English lit major, uh, predictably, um, and um, I was I was gonna guess chemistry, but I guess. But you know, my dad. So, but my dad taught at the Harvard Business School, so I think you're influenced, of course, by the household you grow up in, and I mean, my dad read to me every night and stuff. But also, we always understood things from a business, it's just water to the fish in a business, business school professor's household. Like, what does that cost? What is it worth? What is it? So I, so somehow in Zena's class, I thought, oh, business in New York city and creating children's books. This is, this is it. So I said, two things happened in that class. The other thing is that I met my best friend in that class and that was Roger Sutton, who's the, was just retired as editor of the horn book. So, um, that was, um, what a gift, what a gift that class was. And so after I graduated, I moved to New York City and, and slept on a, I slept behind a screen in a one bedroom apartment, you know, and uh, finally got, I worked as an office temp. And then I got hired um, as an assistant at Viking children's books. So that's, oh, and I had done it. Oh, there's one more story that's kind of cute so I kept telling my parents that I was going to move to New York and be a children's book editor. And, you know, my, my father kept saying, you like to read, you like to write, you'd be a great lawyer. You know, he, he just wanted me to have a job. He didn't really get it about publishing. And um, my parents were at a cocktail party for a board that my dad was on. And, um, he was talking to someone and he said what do you do and she said well i work for scholastic books it's a children's book publisher and he grabbed her by the shoulders and said my god you mean there is such a thing <laughs> and <laughs> she said it was the only time that her husband's friends took any interest in what she did which that really speaks to that year when it was like you know the executive husband and then the wife was like a with the vacuum cleaner that's serious yeah Anyway, so but um, so I did do an internship for her um, in the summer of 1981, and I thought it was so exciting. I, you know, walked to work in Times Square every day because Scholastic was in Times Square then. And, and I saw all these books. So that's more about my childhood and pre-New York life than you even need to know. But
1: OK, but um, let's go back. Your dad, like my father, uh, read to you uh, when you were a um, small girl. Absolutely, every night.
0: Yeah, yeah. My my dad
1: too. We have several things in common.
0: And, prof- and uh, an academic family, right?
1: Yes, and don't leave. Yeah, well, I I used to be professor. Uh, don't don't leave the show without Stephen Sondheim. I, I no, we're, we're, we're not how many there. many hours
0: do we have? I'm happy to talk about Stephen Sondheim <laughs> for the next three hours.
1: I'll, I'll I'll have you back on the show. Okay. Okay. Um, because I have a theory. Um, All right. Okay. Okay, so before we talk about sound time, uh, what <laughs> books did uh, your dad, uh, Professor Law, uh, tell teach, uh, talk read to you as a five year old, four year old, three year old,
0: five year old? Well, I know I got a copy of Madeline as a baby gift, and you know I worked with the <laughs> Bevelman State quite a bit when I was at Viking. Yeah, I worked. I worked a lot. Um, I worked a lot with uh, Mrs. Bemmelmans and their daughter, and then with John, who sort of took over. And um, we uh, did nice, pe- nice people. They're wonderful. They're oh. wonderful, and we um, like uh, uh, as weird as it sounds. A, a big little stepping stone in my career was the Madeline paper dolls. We, we. Uh, I, well, I, I was, I, I was building you up for that. Oh, okay. I said, what you know? What have you
1: done? And you said it like in, in rejuvenating books. And you right. cited something else.
0: Talk about Madeline. I cited, I cited the ones I was working on. Now I'm sorry. I thought. I, no, yes. I, 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 I cut my teeth on <laughs> Madeline, and also Corduroy. I worked a lot with Don Freeman's estate, and um, and Don Freeman. There was one of his books, Dandelion. Um, really haunted me as a child because uh, Dandelion is a lion. So Don Freeman wrote Cordu- his most famous book by far is Corduroy about the little bear in the department store. Who's missing a button is wonderful. And I love Corduroy Um, and Dandelion, but he, Don wrote a lot of books and they were all read not only by my dad, but I think there was a show in a, the States at the time called Captain Kangaroo. And they used to do this, this, pan and scan reading of the books I think they were um produced by Roy Oakley at Weston Woods I hope I'm getting his name right but they would they would read a, a book every day and one of the books was Dandelion I had a copy too and Dandelion um going to a party and he gets really dandied up for the party his hair gets put in curls and blown out he gets his fancy jacket he gets his nails done and everything and he goes to the party and they his friends don't recognize the the giraffe answers the door it's like you've got the wrong address and she closes the door and he she he raps but they don't hear him and a storm comes up and and he Coast, he tries to find, he finds shelter under a weeping willow tree, and first the jacket's blown off, and the, it's raining, and his all the his whole, his hairdo gets blown out and everything, and there's this picture of him under the weeping willow, so the weeping willow is saggy, and dandelions standing there like that, and, and it, he's so alone, and his friends, you know, and I was so, <laughs> the picture made me so sad as a little girl, and of course what happens is, um, the son comes out and he's like, I'm going to try one more time. And he knocks on the door and now they recognize him because he's not all fancied up. And they're like, dandelion, we were wondering where you were. I hope you didn't get caught in that storm. So of course it has a happy ending. And I think of it often one, because how any moment you can relate, you know, you need a child needs to relate to a book emotionally I always keep that in mind. And we can't be afraid to have something hard or sad happen in the book. I, I mean, I think most people reading Dandelion don't, I don't know why the heartbreak hit me so hard, except that Don Freeman drew the art so beautifully <laughs> of this poor dejected lion under the weeping willow. Um, but the, you know, the lesson is I, I I often work with writers who are a little afraid to have the story get hard or sad, but I think it's like that as long as it usually turns out okay in the end.
1: Okay, but what if it doesn't?
0: I think that's okay, too.
1: <laughs> okay, but bless you for saying that. Um, so um, I, I usually don't talk about myself in the show, but, but I have to share this, Elizabeth, because uh, my father um, died about five years ago and um, he used to read to us Madeline, my oh. absolute favorite book. And um, I, I, I live in Israel, but I'm Canadian, and uh, flew to Toronto to see him for the last time. He was eighty-nine. The kids, all the kids came over. The kids, like we're, we you know, we're in sixties, seventies, whatever. And um, we're sitting beside him, and Dad is barely talking. He can barely say a word. And and we start the four kids to to recite Madeline. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, my dad starts reciting it with us.
0: Oh, oh,
1: that's so great. Probably one of the last times he talked to us. So, I, I, um, I, I want to ask you, as somebody who writes for children, I have this feeling that there's no better way to touch a kid's heart than, than a, 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 one of these uh, heart-wrenching um, picture books that we right. we strive to write. Um, so, when, when you as an editor are working to bring one of these stories to the world, is, is this how you feel? How do you feel? Because you're also a business person. How's it going to
0: sell? But what about? You know, it's a kind of a Bible for the world, isn't it? Well, I can't speak for anybody else. But when I really love a book, I worry, I worry almost too much because I care so I, I just I can't help it. Now I understand this is ridiculous because it sounds like I'm so overinflating myself. But I understand why Ursula Nordstrom wanted to quit. If Where the Wild Things Are didn't win the Caldecott, because you really care and you see how great the thing in front of you is. But I don't think, I don't worry, is it going to become a huge, huge seller? Because most books, that's not unless, and we're, you know, unless it's, unless you're working um, at a big house and you've signed up one of these super mega deals that has a huge burden of expectation on you, and that's its own thing, you're basically trying to make the book as good as it can be knowing that then the first things that happen is it gets reviewed and reviews are influential because schools and libraries order from reviews. And, but you're really hoping that, um, it gets liked because when it's liked, that's the book that the parent says, well, my, my four-year-old loves this. So let's get it for the birthday party of the next person, or let's give it as a baby gift. And that's how the books that have been really popular recently, like the day the crayons quit or dragons love tacos that, you know, they were word of mouth hits or, um, uh, I was still at Viking when llama, llama red pajama was signed up and, um, we, we loved that little book and the sale we wanted to try to do what's called a display back. I don't even think these get done that much anymore, but you know, a store, a, a floor display in a store. And the rep said, no, we already have our floor display for this season. Um, and it didn't matter because the book got found and people loved it. And, and it, so that's, you're just concentrating on the book in front of you, making it as good as it can be. That's really yeah. just what
1: but at the end of the at the end of the day all you have to do is touch one
0: kid's heart well i, I I'm being a little bit of a, definitely it's yeah. definitely a consolation i mean we've had a i I've certainly put out a few books that we thought were really good that for one reason or another didn't resonate um and I think it's you know that some people love it it's true and i, I guess I, it's funny this is on my mind because I followed the the um Department of Justice, Penguin Random House lawsuit, but all these big executives kept saying, well, you know, you have, you count on a few books to really hit and do well, and that can carry some other books along with them. So it's true. Ideally, um, you sign up every book with good intentions that it's gonna hit, you you have an idea of who's gonna like it and why they're gonna like it. And, a few of them really take off but but you're right we just want to be proud of each book and they will find they all find some some people who love them and get some great letters and things like that mm-hmm. well I mean we're,
1: we're two people I think who and not only us so many millions who um, arts were would change for life by by books like uh, Madeline um I uh, speaking of I, madeline I, I have a Madeline story so <laughs>
0: You, you realize we're going. You realize we're going to have to have you back. Well, I'm sorry, I'm out of anecdotes. I say jokingly. Fine, <laughs> no problem. So, um, I went to France. I was lucky enough to go to France on a student travel trip um, the summer after my sophomore year in high school, which means I was I turned 16 that summer, and I remember walking up to Sacre cœur and being like, "Oh my God, Madeline!" Like. <laughs> out like they looked high and they're up in Montmartre and they looked low and I, you know the images came back to me and now you know I, I really love France and because, since the pandemic I've been allowed to work from France two months a year and we could definitely we could possibly trace that right back to Madeline I think it's entirely possible so okay.
1: this is we're going to now move on because it's becoming spookier okay. as we talk <laughs> okay because okay because we're gonna, you and I are gonna go offline and then go back online and talk about a few things. But this is really, I just realized something very important about my life uh, and Madeline, but we'll do that later. This is about okay. you. Okay, um, okay. so um, what I wanted to ask you is the following. This, this really bothers me. Um, I've made a calculation that um, agents, let's talk about agents get between two and 5,000 submissions a year. Uh, And you can correct me if you think the math is wrong. Um, And they will take on between two and five authors a year. And if they're established, maybe not even in a particular genre. And um, so I I figured out that, uh, and their success rate is, you know, than 50% or less than 100. Um, So the chance of an author having a book published in children's literature is 1 in 5,000. And most of the authors I've spoken to on the program um, have a story. It's not like they just submitted something to a slush pile. Um, They they had a history in editing or journalism. They went to a meeting and met the um, editor. Um, So Best and, and you know I I just, I just had a story accepted here in Israel and, and the chances right. are and the chances are one in, in several thousands. I feel like I'm the luckiest camper here, um, and and so my question is: if only one in five thousand books gets published, what happens to the other four thousand nine hundred and ninety-nine? There must be other good books and, and authors that don't get noticed.
0: Okay. Well, your question surprised me, but I'm, I'm, I have an answer. I, I actually believe, uh, strongly believe that self-publishing now is no longer the terrible racket that it was growing up. Growing up means when I was in my, when I was working the first 20 years I was working, um, I, I used to, you know, feel terrible when people went with Vanity Presses and they were charged like four or five thousand dollars and then they got copies of the book to sell out of their garage and it was a nightmare. But now you can publish a book online, have it print on demand. Your friends can have copies, you can read it to your classroom, you can give it to people and it's a legitimate thing. I, I they're not I'm not sure that companies that I I'm not an expert on how well the companies that, um, the big companies that promise to market your book or things like that, I'm not sure how much bang for your buck you get, but you can publish a book and not spend a fortune doing it and not end up with a million printed copies in your basement. So that's one thing. Secondly, I'm not sure I really think the odds are as bad as you, you asked what about the unpublished books. My friend, Janet Pascal, um, who has passed away, but she was the managing editor at Viking Children's Books for a long time, Viking, the original publisher of Madeline and Don Freeman. And um, she calculated these unsolicited manuscript pile, or we used to call it the slush pile. She calculated that we published one out of every 3000 things there. And that's, so that was her calculation. And we have published out of the unsolicited manuscript pile at um, Holiday House since I've been there, twice. It's not a lot, I think we've only published two things and I've been there about five years now. So, but what I wanted to say, even though this isn't your question, because I've been in the business so long, is that I think one of the things that has people get published is just plain persistence. I think the business is so much harder than most people think when they get into it. And, you know, we all think we have something great to share with children. Everybody but me, because I just never have any ideas. But, but everybody thinks they have something to share with kids. And, and maybe they liked creative writing when they were younger or maybe whatever. And they send it in and they think, well, I'll do a little work on it. And they have no idea how hard it's going to be, how many years it's going to take them. How many rounds a picture book goes through, the conferences they might go to, the writers they'll be mentored by, but the ones who stay with it usually make it. And one of my closest friends, Kathy Petter, um, when her twins were four, she I said to her, she'd been a financial services writer. And I said, you know, I think, I think you could write for kids because you're very good at explaining things to them. And she's very interested in that. Um, she worked on it, she started going to conferences to get feedback, then she got an MFA at Vermont College, and she just sold her first book last December, when those twins were freshmen in college. So, you know, it, it was a lot of work, but she never stopped. So, I know you didn't ask me that, but it's, I feel I need to share that, because I, I want people to know that.
1: No, I, oh, I, I think it's wonderful. I, I just want to add, at least based on my experience, Uh, It took me over 40 years to realize that I didn't really write so well and that I had to attend courses, read books, take on mentors. I I think this is the disease, you know. Oh, this is a great story. How come, you know, it's much better than what's in stores. How come people don't stand in line to acquire, you know, uh, Peter Pan meets Goldilocks? Um, But so I I would add one thing. This is my, my experience. It's not only persistence. It's also understanding that you have to get better and better and better and better and better. It's, it's not in this
0: business. It's not good enough to be excellent. That's right. And so that is the number one thing I would say. The number one thing I notice is most people haven't yet developed their jobs and they can't yet see what I can see about what's missing. But you can also write a good book that we will pass on because we don't think we can sell enough. So it's not, I mean, like right now, I'm sorry to tell you this because I know you have one in development, but picture book biographies are challenging right now as a, as a genre. So, you know, we, we do occasionally see something and we think, I mean, I, and I, I sometimes I turn things down and I think this will probably find another home and it should, but it's not right for us. Uh Oh, just frozen my screen. What happens when a screen phrase is on a screen? Oh, okay. I I lost you for a moment.
1: No, sorry. I, okay. I need I need the sentence again. Um, so, but, but I'm just gonna I'm just gonna add that um, you wrote that as authors we should write to our passion. Yes. And, not, I, and and you know you guys are publishing more of this and less of that and and um, and so and 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 still we should write with our passion. No.
0: I have an I have an answer for that. Um, We have an editorial meeting every Thursday afternoon at Holiday House. And how that works is every editor, and this includes um, Neil Porter of Neil Porter Books and Margaret Ferguson of Margaret Ferguson Books. Anything that we've seen that we like and are considering acquiring, we send out by Tuesday. If it's a novel, hopefully we send it out the weekend before. And we ask everybody to read it. And then we get together and talk about it. And many times, one of the editors has who sent something said, I didn't want to like this, but I did like, I wasn't looking for another book about, but I loved it. And then we sign it up because we think we can sell it. And it was good enough. So I think that's why we say, write your passion. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I I was just talking to another editor about this this same uh, question. You know, oh, so many books on dragons, so many books on dragons, who needs another book on dragons?
0: But dragons are popular. Okay. another fractured fairy tale, I say, and yet sometimes they're so funny we just signed one up. <laughs> there you go.
1: Um, okay, so um, this has been terrific and you you will be a guest again soon if you... We haven't talked about Sondheim at all. Well, we're going to talk about him now for four minutes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, so um, I have a theory. <laughs> I, I'm like you. I, I'm so crazy about musicals, but I heard that you're crazier than I am. Uh, how crazy are you about musicals?
0: My life is a Broadway musical. What do you mean? How good? I, I only have two passions, books and theater. So And, and so um, in the
1: theater, other than Stephen Sondheim, we're not going to talk about him because we don't have enough time. Right. Um, and um, well, let's, t- let's talk about generally. It, you only love Sondheim or... No, what about, for- what was it? Sondheim had a, a mentor whose name was Oscar Hammerstein. Right, Aki.
0: Yeah, you don't go for Roger and okay. Hammerstein? Okay, everybody who's interested in this question, I wish I, I was looking around to see if I had my copy right here. You've got to read Mary Rogers' book, Shy. It just came out last, August 9th. The ebook is coming out August 31st. It's incredible, this book. It's called Shy, um, a memoir of something by Mary Rogers and Jesse Green. It's great. So of course I love Rogers and Hammerstein. Um, Mary Rogers is Richard Rogers' daughter. I, um, she wrote Once Upon a Mattress. Some of my favorite musicals not composed by Stephen Sondheim are, of course I love Hamilton, Fiddler on the Roof, And um, I don't really consider this a musical, but I was in fifth grade when Jesus Christ Superstar came out and I had the and I listened to it over and over and over and over. over. So I feel like Jesus Christ Superstar, um, Fiddler on the Roof, Hamilton, Rent, those are all like part of my life. They're not even I don't even think of them as shows. (laughs) I think of them as something that's like, I don't know, that I breathe in and out. And, so,
1: I, yeah, and, and, and just a couple of words on uh, I know you love Stephen Sondheim. Uh, he's like numero uno with you. Why is that?
0: Wow. In just a couple of words. Well, well I'll have you back, but you know. <laughs> well, so, partly, again, to go back to our childhood, when I was 12, um, a family friend had done the costumes for, had done the costumes for, and was in a production of company at Tufts University. So we went to see it. And the song Ladies Who Lunch was performed and because my friend Martha was a very good costume designer, she the woman who was singing Ladies Who Lunch really looked like a sort of jaded bored housewife and I remember a visceral feeling coming up my body and I thought that's my mother. That's my mother on stage. And I was 12 and I had been taken to like things like HMS Pinafore. And I didn't know that theater could be about people in my life walking around in the 70s. And it was so exciting. It and I think that's the first thing that Sondheim, it was the first time that I really saw myself, weirdly. But you know, in and I still think of it in in some of his. I saw Into the Woods two nights ago. And unlike a lot of people, it's not my favorite Sondheim show because the ones I really love. Um, move me on a really personal level. That's my short my short answer.
1: Okay, two more minutes. So, so uh, West Side Story.
0: What about West Side Story? What do you want me to say?
1: Now, is, isn't that a genius? Isn't that like a a, 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 a like I, I have trouble deciding. I teach courses you know, in public It's a I, work I, I, of
0: genius written by three Jewish men, and I think that's interesting because today. We'd feel like we need Lin-Manuel Miranda to write part. You know, we wouldn't let three Jewish creators write it. We That's wouldn't. Something. Yeah. How did we let them do it back then? Because we weren't, um, we weren't as we weren't busy making sure. And I, I think it's great making sure that we have enough uh, Latino voices and urban voices. And th- it's great. Yeah. But I think, have, I think they'd have more trouble now. We'd have to get some more creative. I don't know. They'd have to collaborate with people who were of that ethnicity.
1: Mm-hmm. I, um, okay. But I, I must tell you, we're going to talk about this next time. Okay. I feel persecuted, uh, not as a Jewish children's writer, but as
0: a male children's writer. I know. Writer. I feel really bad for the white men who are, feel like, you guys had a good run. That's, my <laughs> uh-huh. That's hilarious. Okay, well, we'll talk about that next time. Okay. So, so
1: I, I teach academic courses in popular music. Uh, oh, I, I, I might invite you. So, so um, I, and and as you know, I'm I'm raking over West Side Story, uh, as we talk. Um, and here here's something from Sondheim. Uh Today the world was just an address, a place for me to live in, no better than all right, and I think his genius is you know like as a writer you say okay he he put that in because he didn't have anything better to to write you know and but it's it's brilliant in sometimes you i don't know if i'm expressing myself properly but um out of the need to complete a line sometimes your brilliance shows
0: oh isn't that interesting you've got to read the street where i live by alan j lerner he writes it because, you know, he was the book writer and he writes about creating um, My Fair Lady, Gigi, and Camelot. And he has something to say about that. We'll I think I, I, Camelot is... A, so
1: what I wanted to say, and I, I'm teaching my, my students this, is I think that the success of the musical songs is because they tell stories the way that our children's book tells stories. And maybe that's why you and I... Um, are so connected to both genres. Yeah, we love stories. Um, so, listen, this has been um, almost an hour, and we have lots
0: more to talk about.
1: So, I'm going to book you again.
0: <laughs> okay, till next time. So, um, read to your children. For... Those are my last words. Read, read, to children.
1: read to your children. Oh, absolutely. Well, my children are uh, now in their uh, in their thirties.
0: I was saying it for the benefit of anybody. I just want that to be my last words. You know, yes. if ah, ah, for every
1: for every for everybody else, yes, read to your children, um, and um, that's yeah, that's wonderful. Um, I'm going to say thank you, Elizabeth Law. You have far surpassed my my dreams of interviewing you. Um, hey, hey,
0: can I plug my um? Can I plug my business? If you want to hire me to work with you on your manuscript, can I plug it? Am I, or are they no plugging? Uh, no, I, I, no, actually, I think you have to plug it. Oh, good. So I'm, um, I work at Holiday House full-time, but I have a side hustle. Um, so my website is elaw, look for Elizabeth Law, elawreads.com. And you can contact me there. And I talk about, the, I'll work with you on any manuscript,
1: or manuscript. Okay, that's wonderful. And also I will add that,
0: the, and then you Love shall
1: add it, it on Twitter and on Facebook when we share this. Um, thank you share this wonderful interview. Thanks a lot. Oh, it's been great. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna say goodbye to everybody else, and then we're gonna leave and come back on for a short tete <laughs> tete. Um so this has been Mel Rosenberg for the Children's Literature Channel of the New Books Network. Thanking right. Elizabeth Law, and it's just been wonderful. Thanks so much.
0: Thanks, Mel. Thanks very much. See you Bye. in one second. In one second.
1: <laughs> I'm having trouble. Ah, oh, okay. Bye, everybody.